This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a good one out there today. Got to discuss a couple of things with which I have an increasing infatuation. One of them being a direction the Vikings should go in the draft. The other is Joe Ryan, Twins pitcher, had another outstanding performance on Wednesday as the Twins beat the Tigers 5-0, sixth consecutive victory for the Twins after that 4-8 and eight start, giving us one more lesson in patience in this sports market, in baseball, however you want to carve it up. Also, we'll have Sarah McClellan on the show to talk wild. Big game tonight for the wild. They play Calgary. Tomorrow they play Colorado. We will sort out what is at stake for them in those two games as they try to gain home ice advantage in that first round series against St. Louis. We know they're going to play St. Louis. We just don't know exactly when and we don't know exactly where game one is going to be. But first, like I said, what did I miss? NFL draft starts tonight. Vikings have the number 12 overall pick. What will they do? Keep the pick, trade down, maybe trade up? I don't know. What I do know is this. I think there's been a lot of talk so far about the Vikings maybe taking a corner at number 12, and I see that's a logical path for them to take. I think you know they obviously need some help there. They've tried to address that to varying degrees over the years. I think they've been most successful with you know, Cameron Dantzler, if you look at the advanced metrics, has been a very good pick, has the potential to, you know, be that number one corner as time goes on. They've got Patrick Peterson back for another year, but they don't have a lot of depth there, and they don't have a lot of, you know, future cost certainty there. So corner makes a ton of sense. That said, I am becoming increasingly infatuated with the idea of them taking a wide receiver at number 12. The more you read about some of these receivers that are available, in particular, the more you read, you know, about, uh, uh, the more you read about Jamison Williams from Alabama. You know, he tore his ACL in that national championship game. You don't know exactly when he's going to be available, but if you are picking on pure talent alone, on pure upside, and someone who will be able to help you this year still you just don't know exactly how much this year that's your guy that that's your guy he he, he you know if if this was you know if he hadn't gotten hurt in that game he would be a a surefire top 10 pick maybe even a top 5 pick that's how good he is so the vikings picking at 12 could get a talent of that nature if they're willing to be patient if his medical you know situation checks out if they think he would be you know, available sooner rather than later, able to help quite a bit this year and not just, you know, a timeline of next year and beyond. Um, if they don't want to do that, you've still got options um, at different spots on uh, on the uh, on the you know on the on the wide receiver front. You got Garrett Wilson from Ohio State that could really help them as well. I just like the idea of giving them more looks in the passing game, right? I think you know, no doubt, Justin Jefferson is a bona fide number one superstar in this league, top five receiver already in the NFL. They'll have him under cost control for a few more years here until he gets very expensive, and I think they're going to have to pay him because you don't want to let someone like that go. But Adam Thielen um, will be here for a little while at least, too, and he's still a very good and productive receiver on the other side of 30 now. But imagine adding a third really good receiver to that. Imagine 
you know, having someone who kind of bridges that, bridges the Adam Thielen um, gap into you know into the point where he's no longer either here or you know as effective as a as a top two receiver on a team anymore. Imagine having someone who you know stretches the field or someone who gives that offense more you know just another dynamic level. I I I liken it to 1998 when you looked at it and the Vikings had made the playoffs a whole bunch of years in a row or you know, had come close to it at least. They you know Denny Green's first. You know, six or seven years, they made it almost every season. They had Chris Carter. They had Jake Reed. They felt like, okay, they've got their two guys. They're set at that position. And then, the you know, the number 21 pick in the draft comes along, and they take Randy Moss. And we're like, well, obviously he's a freakish talent, but don't they already have two receivers? That was the conventional thinking at that point. And the conventional thinking at that point would have led you to not take a receiver. And then all of a sudden, Randy Moss comes into the league as a complete game changer, just totally alters the landscape of what they are able to do. Now, I'm not saying whoever the Vikings would take at wide receiver would be the next Randy Moss. Justin Jefferson might be the next Randy Moss. But what I am saying is he could be that kind of difference maker, especially in the kind of offense that Kevin O'Connell wants to run. This is going to be a a more pass-heavy offense. There's still going to be running game, but it's going to be more throwing on first and second down, staying ahead of the chains, as they like to say, not getting into those second and nines, third and sixes, you know, situations where it's more obvious that they're going to have to pass. Um, Wouldn't it be nice to have that, you know, it's not even a luxury. Wouldn't it be nice to have that level of passing game where Kirk Cousins not only had, you know, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, but had a third target who was, you know, really, really dangerous. Add that to Irv Smith coming back. Add that to, you know, pass catchers out of the backfield. Add that to everything else they can do. That would transform this offense and maybe make them extra dangerous in 2022. And I'm well aware this is a deep draft for wide receivers. You might be able to get something like that in the second round, in the third round. Maybe corner is the smarter pick if Trent McDuffie is still there at 12. If Derek Stingley Jr. doesn't sound like he's going to be there, but if somehow he drops number 12, that could be a no-brainer. But if you're sitting there at 12 and you can't trade down and the corners you really like aren't there and there's a wide receiver just staring you in the face, I would be really tempted to do that. I know it maybe isn't the most posi- most obvious pressing position of need, but I would be very tempted. This is a regime that's going to want to affect the passing game in a lot of different ways, whether it's on offense or defense, and I could very much see them going that route when they are on the clock tonight. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to have Sarah McClellan back on Daily Delivery. Covers the wild, of course, for the Star Tribune. It's been a couple weeks, Sarah, since we talked. I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot more next week when the playoffs start, because... Um, the Wild, of course, will be in the playoffs no matter what. The question at hand still is, will they start the playoffs You know, as soon as Monday at XL Energy Center? Will they be in St. Louis? They know their opponent, um, but still quite a bit at stake in these last two games against two division-leading opponents with Calgary and Colorado coming into XL Energy Center on Thursday and Friday. So r- right off the jump, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but, you know, it, the math is pretty simple at this point since the Wild and St. Louis are tied and St. Louis only has one game left. But, you know, 
set the scene for me and the listeners for what's at stake in these next two games. Yeah, these are going to be two key games to close out the regular season. Although it's been a while that since the Wild has clinched, I, I think that's probably helpful to still have something meaningful to play for in these last couple tune-ups. Obviously, the Wild plays Calgary Thursday and then closes out the regular season again at home on Friday against Colorado. They're tied with the Blues in points. The Blues only have one game left. So doing the math, if the Blues win their final game, the Wild would need, you know, three points or more to snag the second seed and confirm home ice advantage for that first round series. If the Blues lose, then obviously one point is all it takes from these last two games to clinch that second seed, but the Blues don't play Thursday. The Wild does. So Thursday's game against Calgary can probably really set the tone and is obviously key to set up that final day of the regular season for those two teams. And I, like I said, I think it's helpful because it's been a while since the Wild clinch and I think having something still at stake, having something to play for it is probably really good to keep the team, you know, focused and engaged. Not that they wouldn't be, but you know, there is maybe for some teams that opportunity to not hit cruise control, but just maybe, you know, ease up or, you know, be so focused on the playoffs that, you know, maybe they they rest or um, just try to prepare in different ways than, you know, being so locked in and engaged. And I think having this focus and having this still up for grabs, um, you know, helps probably the wild stay locked in trying to play its best hockey, gearing up for a playoff series that, you know, obviously is <laughs> going to be entertaining based on what we've seen so far in the regular season between these two teams and a stout challenge too. And they missed an opportunity on Tuesday playing Arizona. I mean, they haven't had a lot of clunkers lately. I mean, there's been a, a couple, but by, by and large, they had what they had a 10 game point streak going at a certain point there. So it's, it's, it's like they were, they were playing, pretty well a bad time for that but how did they you know how did they feel about that one afterwards did they kind of dismiss it as you know move on it's just one game was there what was their disappointment what what was the what was the energy after that loss to Arizona which is you know way down there in the standings well I think they were aware that that result could obviously come back and haunt them you know depending on what happens with St. Louis the rest of the way and home ice advantage that has been on their radar like I said, since they've clinched, that's still been a very motivating factor, it seems like, to try to start this series at XL Energy Center. And since St. Louis went on to lose later in the night, that obviously was, like you said, a, a big blown opportunity to really, you know, get an edge in a race that has been so tight since, like the Wild, St. Louis just hasn't lost very many games recently. And this was a rare regulation defeat that they had against Colorado. So I think there was that. Um, and I think too, the wild really recognized that they were off. It wasn't their game. Uh, you know, I think the team finished with seven hits and, you know, maybe that sometimes hits can be maybe not always the best indicator of what happens on the ice, because if you have the puck a lot and you're in control, you're maybe not dishing out hits, but it just looked like the wild didn't get to its style of play. And part of that is that physical edge and finishing their checks and establishing that type of tone. And it just, it never was there. Um, so, you know, like you said, a clunker, an uncharacteristic clunker 
the wild have been mostly locked in during, you know, this last month of the season, especially since clinching. I think, like I said, they have been very focused on what's still at stake. So the test obviously will just see how they rebound and how they face two tough teams in the Western conference in, in these last few games, starting with Calgary on Thursday. Now we saw, I mean, Colorado did beat St. Louis the other night, but neither Calgary nor Colorado has much to play for. I don't think, you know, Calgary is already locked in and they've won their division pretty handily and Colorado is fairly well clear of Calgary. So I wonder how that will, will factor into things, but I, I do, I'm curious too, just like, you know, there's kind of this balance, right? They, they've been grinding so hard the second half of the season, you know, playing seemingly every other day, a lot of back-to-backs and they will get a couple of days off here at least um, because the regular season ends Friday. The playoffs don't start till Monday league wide. And, you know, we'll see if, if their series against St. Louis starts then, but you know, what's the kind of the balance between, you know, pushing as hard as they can for, you know, home ice, which amounts to one game in, in the playoffs versus making sure they're physically and mentally ready for the playoffs. Yeah. It's kind of probably, like you said, a tricky balance because, I think especially this series and and the narrative can be flipped in either direction. If you're the home team or the road team to start a playoff series, you know, um, you know, having that extra game and then potentially losing if you split on the road, you know, there, there's all these different dynamics to look at, but I think in this series against St. Louis, I really think home ice advantage can really be an X factor for the wild. And you look back at the season and, and the games against St. Louis have been mostly competitive except, you know, for the winter classic, but the blues haven't played at Excel energy center this season. And so I think that's interesting to point out because the wild has been so dominant at home this season. And that's just really the one factor that hasn't played out yet in this head to head series this season. So, you know, that's not to say that that trend continues. We'll see, obviously playoffs tend to have a different feel about them. It's a different vibe, but if the wild can translate that to the postseason. They could really be a you know a very formidable matchup at home. They get to dictate that head-to-head matchup, match their lines, you know, get the 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 grief line, you know, Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson, and Marcus Felino out against St. Louis's best. And I think that could really be a factor that plays to the wild's advantage. So I think having that still up for grabs is is probably worth fighting for and we're chasing and not resting and keeping everybody locked in and ready to go and, you know, not just easing up the rest of the way. So, uh, you know, we'll see. And again, if they don't get it, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure the chatter changes and it's like, okay, you just have to split one on the road and then, you know, you win back home. So it's an evolving issue, but I really think that could be, you know, a dynamic aspect to the season just because the fact we haven't seen it yet so far. Speaking of an evolving issue, I think, you know, when the Wild made the trade deadline move to get Marc-Andre Fleury, it certainly, you know, solidified what they have in that two veterans, two guys in in Fleury and Cam Talbot that have plenty of experience and and experience in the postseason, Fleury in particular. I mean, my goodness, that's a, that postseason resume is, is, is awfully impressive. You know, that said, he was, you know, on the wrong end of that Arizona outcome the other night he's he's given up a you know a few a few goals here and there do you have a sense I mean maybe it's not determined yet maybe we need to know what happens these next two games but do you have a sense for how they will enter the playoffs with you know what uh, what they're thinking with their goalies entering the playoffs 
You know what? They've continued to still rely on both. And I kind of expect that to continue right up to the playoffs when it is time to make a decision. For so long, they were rotating each start between both goalies. And it kind of looked like that might continue all the way up to the playoffs. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. But lately, though, they've started to give more you know, more workload to each goalie. Cam Talbot started two in a row and it came after his shutout performance in Montreal. The fact that he merited to stay in there and they thought the momentum from that game would carry into the next game, which obviously, you know, he won, it did. And then Fleury took over and he played three in a row. Um, obviously suffered a loss, like you mentioned, to Arizona that dropped him to eight and two with the Wild. So they've both been pretty productive um and so it kind of still I think adds to the mystery um and I don't think it's a bad thing to have obviously two goalies rolling but you can only pick one and so maybe these last two games will start to maybe kind of point in the direction but they'll probably likely split because that's been the trend um to have each goalie get a game and it you know maybe it's their last impression to you know, make a case, but having two goalies, you know, rolling at this time of year, picking up points and results is obviously key. And um, it's a position, like you mentioned, to bring in Marc-Andre Fleury, a three-time Stanley Cup champion, the reigning Vesna Trophy winner as the top goalie in the league and a future Hall of Famer. Um, this is the time of year, obviously, when he tends to really find a, find a knack for delivering in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how he rebounds from that Arizona game to kind of set him up potentially for whatever his workload could look like come postseason time. Now, the, the game seven of the Stanley Cup finals would be something like June 30th, if I'm not mistaken, which is, you know, a little over a little less than two months, I guess, from when the playoffs start with, you know, given that timetable, they're going to have to, they're going to be playing kind of every other day in a lot of these cases, aren't they? And does that factor into maybe both of those goalies see action even in the playoff series, even if one of them is playing pretty well. It's an interesting point because you do wonder, especially, you know, where they're at in their careers, if it makes sense to not necessarily completely roll out a tandem, but to, to manage each, each player's workload. I mean, I think this time of year though, the results will probably dictate that. And if someone's just playing so well and backstopping the team to success, I think that makes sense. And, you know, ultimately that'll probably decide who's in there but I, I think where that could be you know an advantage for the wild is is its depth is you know having you know the players available you know that maybe aren't even in the game one lineup to to you know stay fresh or um you know play somebody that is still effective but that you know just isn't in the top 12 or to have the reserves on defense to step in you know, if you kind of look at the way their lineup's been shaking out lately, it looks like the fourth line, you know, could be Nick Delorier, Tyson Jost, and Brandon Duhame. And if so, Nick Busek could be on the outside looking in. And he's been effective lately. He's been elevated in the lineup, filling in for Matt Zuccarello on the Kirill Kaprizov and Rand Hartman line. So to have someone like that as the 13th forward, you never know when that that player might be able to step in and provide a jolt and provide an impact in a series. So, you know, we'll see with goaltending, but I think depth overall will be key in the playoffs, um, especially maybe in this first round series against St. Louis. You know, last year in the playoffs, obviously they went to seven games with 
Vegas, um, you know, back and forth series. And in that series, Kevin Fiala was not terribly effective in, in certain stretches. And I don't know if that, how much that weighed into the off season decision to, you know, kind of kick the can down the road a little bit in terms of a long-term future and just give him that, that one more year to see what, what he could do. If this has been a prove it year, Sarah, this has been a pretty good prove it year for Kevin Fiala. He's been awfully good this year. Um, I'm sure we'll get into contract specifics once we get to the real off season, but he's going to kind of force their hand. And at this point, um, you know, looking like if, if it weren't for Kirill Kaprizov, uh, we'd be talking about uh, the emergence of Kevin Fiala star on this team. I think too, what's been impressive is the timing of this. You know, this isn't November. This isn't December. He is really peaking and finding his game at the most important time of the year ahead of the playoffs. And I'm sure it gives him the confidence to just carry this over and be an impact player at the most, you know, important, significant juncture of the season. Um, I think too, that you're right. A lot is going to be paid attention to the offensive stats and just the career year and the goals and the assists and the points he's putting up. But it, it's, it's come while he has emerged as more of an all around player. And, and that was a priority for him. Uh, he plays on the penalty kill. Now we scored his first career shorthanded goal earlier this month. Um, he is someone that the wild can utilize in multiple situations. He's not just someone who, you know, can be on the ice when the team needs offense and needs a goal. Um, he's out there, like I said, penalty kill late in games. And I think that was really important for him to become this multidimensional talent. And he is sure showing it at, at a key time of the year. And if he can find a way to carry this over into the playoffs, um, you know, I think that's a really tough matchup for St. Louis because he isn't on the same line as Kirill Kaprizov and he isn't on the Jewel Erickson Eck line. Uh, he is on a different line. So when you look at that lineup card, you know, I'm sure it's tough to figure out how you're going to shut down all these different lines that have dynamic scores on each of them. Absolutely. Well, it should be a lot of fun. We know they're playing St. Louis. We just don't know where and exactly when yet a lot of this sports market has been locked into the Timberwolves and their series with Memphis that continues Friday and perhaps Sunday. So you could have a, could go rolling straight from, you know, Wolves playoffs right into wild playoffs a day later, and they could overlap if the Wolves make the next round. So this could be a pretty interesting May and it will be for the wild. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Sarah McClellan, great stuff. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Sounds good. Take care. Always good to catch up with Sarah McClellan. Does a terrific job covering the wild for the Star Tribune. And like we talked about, a lot at stake here still. I mean, you look at it and home ice advantage in the playoffs in the NHL, you know, it's, it's maybe is minimized. But if we're just looking at pure one loss records and adding, you know, overtime losses, shootout losses into that column, the Wilds 29 and 10 at home this season, 22 and 19 on the road. The Blues, it's a little bit more even, but the Blues are 26 and 14 at home, 23 and 18 on the road. XL Energy Center is a distinct advantage for the Wild, and it would be a big advantage for them against the Blues, like Sarah talked about. You know, it's not just the home energy; it's that you know you get the uh, you know you you get the, uh, the the last line change, things like that. So there's there's a lot of things at play when you talk about the the ability to be the home team more often than not. So. Still a lot to play for for the Wild. And like we talked about, you know, the math is pretty simple. All they have to do is finish with more points than St. Louis, and they've got one more game to do it, albeit against two good opponents. 
St. Louis's last game is against Vegas. Vegas has been eliminated from postseason contention, so who knows what kind of team, what kind of effort they'll put out there for that final game, but maybe they'll be looking forward to playing the spoiler role on Friday. So we'll see. Big one tonight. If the Wild can win tonight, then all they have to do is get one more point or have St. Louis not win against Vegas, and then they've got that home ice. So we will see what happens when that comes around. Let's finish with the cooler extended today talking about the Twins. Joe Ryan, seven innings, one run. I'm sorry, seven innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, nine strikeouts, only through 90 pitches. The Twins won 5-0 against Detroit. You guys, that game took, I believe, two hours and 23 minutes. This is 2022 and we're playing a game in 2 hours and 23 minutes are you kidding me this is a this is amazing this is a you know this is unheard of stuff and it starts with Joe Ryan throwing strikes getting the ball over the defense supporting him Joe Ryan this year you guys game by game has been just phenomenal lowered his ERA to 1.17 still technically a rookie after pitching well in a five-game audition last season. He's just getting better and better with each start. You know, first start out, four innings, two hits, two runs, walked four guys, just a little bit rusty. Second outing at Boston, Twins are struggling. Six innings, five hits, one run, gets them an 8-4 to four win. Last Thursday at Kansas City, they win one nothing. Joe Ryan pitches six innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts. And then last night, Seven innings, one hit. Like I said, no runs, a 5 nothing win. Two straight shutouts. Joe Ryan has been off the charts good. The defense, you know, stays on its toes behind him because as much as he's, you know, able to get strikeouts, he's got more than a strikeout per inning, uh, 25 strikeouts in 23 innings. He is going to largely be around the plate. Defense stays on its toes, and they were very good in that game as well. Here is Twins manager Rocco Baldelli talking about, you know, the, the performance by Joe Ryan and just the, the whole effort by the team, including the defense on Wednesday night. You, you look forward to seeing efforts like that. Um, Joe was spectacular. Um, everything he wanted to do, he could do today. Uh, and when they put the ball in play, we made all the plays. And some of them were routine or fairly routine. Some of them weren't. Um, and we finished them. We finished the plays off. Um, and it's funny when you shrink those innings up and you just, you know, you finish plays that aren't, aren't maybe the easiest. And sometimes, you, you know, you see them get made in this league. Sometimes they don't. But when you do make them, I mean, the game uh, plays itself. And, and, you know, it does shorten up on you and it allows your pitchers to stay out there and keep throwing. Uh, it all works together and complements itself. And it was, a, it was a good day all around for us. What we thought was going to be a deficiency going into the season has so far been the Twins' greatest strength. Starters have an ERA of 2.39 so far. A lot of that Joe Ryan, but a lot of it's the other guys too. And, you know, they're not working terribly deep into games yet. They've only thrown 86 innings in 18 games. But you know what? When your ERA is 2.39, I think they will take that no matter what. They're giving up less than Less than a hit and walk per nine innings. Their whip is .96. Opponents are hitting 199 against Twins starting pitchers this year. So I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't think Joe Ryan is going to pitch quite this well all season. But you know what? 
Um, I'm not going to rule it out at this point because he's definitely a rookie of the year candidate. It's been a while since the Twins have had one of those. And, uh, he, you know, if he keeps pitching like this, he's going to enter into other conversations as well. So the Twins now 10 and 8. Um, you know, I, I wanted to write him off at 4 and 8. I just didn't like what I was seeing so far in this season. Baseball is a long grind. This is another reminder of that. We're now just one ninth of the way into the season. They're 10 and 8. They're leading the American League Central, which doesn't look like it's going to be a great division this season. Maybe we just need to be a little bit more patient with this team in general and with sports in general before we make big conclusions. So, and that, now that cuts both ways. We, we can't all of a sudden declare the starting pitching to be fixed, to be great, just because they had a good start to the season. We need a larger sample size, but you have to be encouraged with the pitching you have seen so far, particularly from Joe Ryan. And on the hitting side, Max Kepler suddenly getting hot. He was almost as cold as Miguel Sano to start the year. And now two more home runs in that game last night. He's got his OPS way up. You know, that's another thing. Early in the season, those stats can look bad. And then one or two good games, all of a sudden you can be right back on track. And that's what it looks like Max Kepler is doing. So that is a big deal for the Twins as well. That will do it for me here today. Going to be a jam-packed Friday show. Results from the Vikings' first-round pick. Wild plays tonight. Setting up Timberwolves in Game 6 against Memphis at Target Center. That game, 8 p.m., Friday night. So much going on here. We'll, we'll bring it all to you on Friday. Thanks for joining me here today, and we'll see you again tomorrow.